Uh, we're going to have the youth come up, and they're going to help hand out the elements. Uh, we're going to have them do that real quick because we are going to take communion this morning. And while they're handing that out, I'll talk about some other things. Um, I met this week with our area pastor, Chris Light. He just recently became our area pastor. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, it was Jeff Young who's up at Chico Church, Life Church in Chico, and a few of the members who are here who have moved on, and they attend Life Church. And Jeff recently had stepped down from his role as our area pastor, and now it's Chris Light who's up in Reading. So Chris and I met uh, for lunch this week, and we had a great time. You know, we, we spent 10 minutes talking about the things that are going on in our lives and probably 40 minutes talking about strength training. <laughs> it, it just, it just kind of ends up that way, you know. We, people always want to pick and ask questions, you know. And, uh, and he asked me something that was funny. He goes, he goes, how much of that stuff do you use in your sermons? And I said, I, I think I find a way to incorporate it. He's like, oh, I would all the time. He's like, totally. He's like, think about it. He's like, Paul used it all the time. He's like, I don't know if Paul was an athlete or if Paul was into sports, but Paul always referenced sports, winning the race, wearing the crown, running to the finish line. You know, so I, there was something probably because Paul grew up a Roman citizen and, you know, Olympic, you know, the games all come out of those areas. So, so I found that interesting, you know, and we were having, ca you know, casual conversations and we were talking about the growth of believers and uh, let me get one too, sweetie. Thank you. And we were talking about, you know, the growth of believers. And, you know, and I, and I referenced it to strength training, you know. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, my, one of the things I referenced is w the growth process as a believer. You know, what does the, the growth process of a believer look like? I said, what if I told you there's a 5,000 rep way to a 500-pound squat or an 8,000 rep way to the same place? Obviously, you're going to want to know how to do it the 5,000 rep way. Because those 8,000 reps is 3,000 reps of mileage you just put on your body that you didn't need to do. Right? You don't think of it that way, but that's the truth. And I think that that's the way it is as a believer. There's a smart way to chase after Christ, and then there's a long route. The stumbling route, the I just don't know if I want to be at church. Hey, you want to get involved? No, I'm good. I just want to sit in the back, punch in my God time card. Matter of fact, your church is too small. Everybody asks me questions every week. I feel like you're going to try to get me involved. I need to go to the mega church where I can disappear for another six months in the back. Right? It's the truth. So, anyways, we had this really great conversations, and, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, his last question to me was, what can I do for you, Pastor Chris? What can I do for you? Not a what can I do for you, but how can I encourage you? How can I help you? And he's praying for our church. He's praying for our empty seats. Because I said, you know, I said, I'm, I'm never shy. I'm one of my least, so I, I work in a professional position at my job, and I'm one of the people who bothers my boss the least. I am low maintenance, because I'm a get things done kind of guy. If you haven't noticed when I get up here, I get things done. And if there's a problem, I solve it. I don't call Ghostbusters. So, you know, so that's kind of the way I am in all areas of my life. So, but I did tell him, I said, you know, I, I, on the top of my mind, besides praying for our church, because I don't think growth has to be necessarily people. I'd rather just see us grow as individual people, okay? 
You know, uh, I was in uh, one of my classes last week, and we talked about the role of an evangelist. You know, Paul talks about it. Some are made to be teachers. Some are made to be pastors. Some are made to be evangelists. You know what he says after that? For the equipping of the saints. They've been given these gifts to equip the saints. Not to do the work for them, but to equip you. That's what I want to see. I want to see us grow. I want to see you grow on the 5,000 rep route, not the 8,000 rep route. I want to see us grow in Christ. Because the more that you grow in Christ, the faster that you grow in Christ, the more that people are going to come here. Because something's going to transform in your life that's going to attract people to you. And then you want to know what I always say? In this, in, it, church is the only place where I'm ever going to tell you this. Work yourself out of a job. Work yourself out of a job. I want you to replicate yourself. I want you to make it where all of a sudden you almost become useless. Like, I don't even know what I do. I, I was in the back, and now those guys are back there. That happened to me. Look, I worked myself out of a job. Later, we'll raise up pastors. Give us five years. We're going to have other pastors here. I'm not going to work myself out of a job, but we're going to have other pastors, okay? So anyways, I had a really, I, I did, I had a really great time with Pastor Chris. Um, so just to let you guys know on a more regional level, there's a lot going on in our denomination, which is Foursquare. Um, and so, so God is good. God loves us. God loves this church. And God loves his people. Amen. All right, so we're going to do the, uh, we're going we're gonna to practice and partake in communion this morning. And again, the 5,000 rep way, the 8,000 rep way. This doesn't have to be complicated. From 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat this body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later Paul goes on to say to examine yourself. Obviously we're all with sin. That's not the examination necessarily that we're talking about. We're talking about eat this in a manner of knowing that when you eat this, it represents the body of Jesus Christ. This is not just a piece of bread when we're taking it in this atmosphere. That is what we're talking about here. So, Father, I thank you for this bread. I thank you that you sent your son on a cross, Lord, to die for us, Lord, and that his body was broken, and this bread represents his body. I thank you for that. We thank you for that as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may eat the bread. Paul goes on to say, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink, drink it in remembrance of me. Father, I thank you again, Lord, that your blood was shed on the cross, Lord, that your blood makes my sin as crimson as white snow, that I'm clean, Lord, that I'm able to stand in your presence, Lord, that everybody here, Lord, is able to have a direct connection with you and be considered holy, which means without sin, without blemish, because you shed your blood. Lord, I thank you for that, and we're going to drink this cup in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may drink the cup. Okay. I am going to pat myself on the back for a second there. I struggle with getting up here and leading in communion because I've only done it mm, seven, eight times. That was probably my best one. And I didn't plan any of that. I'm like, you know what? Just get up there. Just figure it out. Be simple. You just, you just read the scripture. And God, that's how God works, right? 
That's how God works. Okay, good, 10.30. Now I got 30 minutes for the sermon. Have you ever seen a big, bearded, bald Viking sing a Disney song? Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Right? What movie is it? Yes, Tangled. Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Look at my girls back there crawling in their seats. They're shrinking. Like, sit him down. I'm going to get a second text. Move forward. Listen, didn't we all grow up? Didn't we all grow up hearing parental figures say things like this? I know better. Trust me. I'm warning you. My favorite. I told you so. I wouldn't do that if I was you. And at our house, you don't know anything about cereal. The girls are dying. I'm going to tell this quick little story about that, and we'll move on. So we're at home one day. I'm rushing around. It's like eight, so I'm a big guy. I have to eat about four or 5,000 calories a day to maintain my training and, and, and my size. And so I always eat a monster bowl of cereal at night. A big a bowl that you mix stuff with, that's my cereal bowl. I like my cereal fresh. So we had, I don't know what was going on, but it was like I had just sat down, I had just filled the bowl, it was full, and I had just added the right amount of milk. It was like Rice Krispies. No, Cocoa Krispies. Cocoa Pebbles. Cocoa Pebbles. I'm ready to run off to my little hiding area to eat my fresh, not soggy, Cocoa Krispies. My daughter, my wife need me to do something. I'm like, in a second. And my daughter's like, Dad, you can put the bowl of cereal down and go do what you want to do. And I looked at her and I go, you don't know anything about cereal. But I didn't say it like that. But that's what happened. Because Father knows best. If I set that bowl of cereal down, it's going to get soggy. You see, I know better. You don't know anything about cereal. Because she said, it, your cereal is going to be fine. I said, no, it's not. It's going to change. If I set that bowl of cereal down and go do that five-minute chore, the cereal is going to change. Right? Okay, that was a funny one. All right, so moving on. Through our youngest years, mother knows best, mother knows best. Our parental figures in general wanted to protect us from harm and fear, yes? That's why we say these things. Through our school age years, they wanted to teach us things they knew about the world. I did. Through, through the adolescent years, we heard a lot of the things I mentioned above. And the funny thing is, I asked the youth to sing, because I thought this would be more geared towards the younger crowd along with us, oldster folks. We all came to a place, whether it was at 15 years old, which was highly unlikely, most likely between 25 and 35, where you realize that everything they said was right. Most of the stuff. One day you woke up and you went, wow. Everything that they didn't know anything about, they were right about. So we wake up one day and we realize that 
mother knew best. Then we pass our adolescent years and we move into our college and young adult years and we come to the time in life where we were likely to find a mate. Some parents will have lots of opinions and feelings about who their children choose for a soulmate. Whether they have a decision or a say in it doesn't matter, but they are going to have an opinion because we know best. Even if your child's in their 30s or 40s, you're going to have an opinion on who they marry. Why? Well, here's probably one reason why. The current statistic on marriage in Western culture, that would be us, is that about 90% of people marry before the age of 50. And of that 90% that marry, 50% of them will end in divorce here in the Western culture. 50%. Something that God designed to be a one-time decision, maybe for some of us too. We, you know, we all, we, we were all young because we didn't listen to mother knowing best. 50% of married couples end in divorce. United States alone has the, high, the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. You know where we live? Yeah. The United States. That was an open-ended question. Ladies and gents, if you're struggling in your marriage, before you call me, you can move to Sri Lanka. Guatemala, Vietnam, St. Vincent, and the Grenadines, Peru, South Africa, or Chile. Why? Divorce doesn't happen so much over there. I wrote here, why does marriage last in those places? I don't know. Maybe there isn't many fish in the sea there. Maybe there's something in the water. Or maybe in places like that, they learn to appreciate what God's given them. Maybe you're the problem and not everybody else. Or maybe you didn't listen when mother knew best, mother knew best. I believe in Western culture we've been persuaded by the enemy to only look with our eyes and not our heart when searching. Is this your fault? No. Is this your parents' fault? No, neither. You've both been spoon-fed the same garbage TV shows and movies that glamorize the opposite of a God-inspired life. Every day. I don't care what channel you choose. Unless you're watching the 700 Club, it's probably not beneficial to you. Okay? Maybe this is a good reason to move to those countries I told you about. You'll never know until you try. I've seen some MTV memes. You know, remember, anybody remember MTV when it played music all day? Right. Now they want to show you 16 and pregnant. A joke I saw on Facebook on a little meme said, why don't you stop showing us 16 and pregnant and start showing us 23 graduated and going somewhere? That's what we need. That is what this culture is missing. We glamorize and highlight disaster. And people can't get enough of it. Like, ooh, I almost missed that episode. Can you make sure it's on the DVR? I don't want to miss 16 and pregnant. So-and-so slaps her husband next week and goes to jail. I saw the preview. I'm serious. This is why we're in the shape we're in. I think many of our concerns today for our life choices and our children's life choices are very similar to those they faced during biblical times. 
but not to the same extreme that they are today. The concern of a parent today is the same as the concern of a parent long ago, and that same concern is the one that God has for his children, and that is you and I. We are coming close to the finish of the Life of Abraham series. Woo! You guys got excited. You're like, he's been in Abraham since January. So we're, we're, we're in the last section, the concern of Abraham. I've got, excuse me, I've got uh, too many jalapenos from Six Flags yesterday. I have a lot to read through right now, 67 verses. I'm going to go through them, and we'll move on. Some of it is in your notes, and some of it is not. I basically had to cut it off where I ran out of space because I needed some fill-ins. I didn't just want to give you three pages of scripture and make you have to bring your glasses. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land, but I must take your son back to the land from which you came. But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you shall be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. And camels were not common during that time. So camels were used to carry supplies, not people. So imagine he was taking probably ten camels worth of riches, treasures, enticing things. So he took the ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. This is over 400-mile journey, ladies and gentlemen. Remember when I used to draw maps and do all that fun stuff? This is a 400-mile journey. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, Please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your picture that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. I like that specificity in that prayer. And, uh, and by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethwell, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her, ran to meet her. And said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my lord. 
Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Ever get quiet and just wait on God? So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Melchah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we, both have, we have both straw and feed, enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. I like that people ran back then. We just walked today. Ran. They ran. They must have been in great shape. That's why they lived to be 130. Just run everywhere until you're 110, and you jog. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Doesn't that sound familiar? I've prepared a place for you. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feet for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. So before you eat, and remember in that culture, people stood while you eat. So he said, before you eat, I want to tell you about my journey. And basically he's getting ready to tell them the awesomeness of what God's doing right then and there. He's going to tell them the whole thing. I came down here on a mission. I was outside. I made this promise to my master 400 miles away. I prayed outside and bam, your daughter or your sister came out and she was the one. And I knew and she fulfilled the things I prayed about. He's about to say all this. So it's awesome. I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow him. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For, they will, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And, to the, and this day I came to the well and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass when the virgin comes out to draw water. And I say to her, please give me a little drink of water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman for whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I finish speaking, in my, in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she said, and she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder. And she said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. 
So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethwell, Nahor's son, whom Milka bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist, and I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord of my God of my master Abraham, who had led me in this way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethwell answered and said, things, the things come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be with your master's son's wife, as the Lord had spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servants heard these words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave brushes, and we're almost done. He also gave precious things. I'm, 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 I'm just where you are, like, oh my gosh, he's still reading then they arose in the morning, and he said, send, away, send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servants and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of tens of thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Excuse me. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. She took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into her mother's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Do you remember last, last week when we talked about Sarah passing? at 127 years old. And Isaac was about 37 at the time because he was born when she was 90. So some things that I pulled out of this story that I want to go through, some highlights and then some things to grab onto, some nuggets to take home. I will try not to do such a long, long reading in the future. I said try. I like to do expository teaching right here. This is what it says. I'm not trying to, I, I can do things like that where I can grab scriptures and put it all together and say, this is what it's saying. But this is what's going on. Let's look at some things. Number one, Abraham's legacy was serious business. This was serious business, right? God pulled Abraham from his father's land many, many years earlier. 25, 37, 25, 37, 62 years have gone by. 62 years of living in a promise that God made to him. So this was serious business. When he was serious, you notice all the things he said with the servant? Beware and don't do that. Swear by my, swear an oath by the Lord. How many times have you told your kids, don't swear to God ever? Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Swear by the Lord that you're going to do this for me. Because this was, that is how serious this was to Abraham. Abraham was too old to make this journey on his own. Why? 
Well, bullet point A is focus was on God's promise. This is the land given to me. Isaac is my chosen son. This is serious. You can't take him back there. What else did he do? He delegated this important task. I'm going to tell you some points on that in a second. C, they, him and the servant, they trusted God to intercede and provide, right? Abraham really entrusted this to God. He gave the servant the task, but God is who he put his trust in. He put his trust in God to provide that individual at the right time and the right place. And he said, if God doesn't, you're released from the oath, but go and do it first. He gave the man a way out. D, he reassured the servant of God's plan. The angel of the Lord will go before you. Remember he said that? The angel of the Lord will go before you and provide the woman. But if he doesn't, it's like that little asterisk. He gave him a way out, but Abraham trusted and believed that God would provide. How about this one, man? I love this. The servant had a faith-filled prayer. We're going to talk about it in a little bit here, but the faith-filled prayer, I love it. Oh, Lord, the God of my master Abraham. I like how a lot of that time everybody was like the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Not their God, his God. And that's what the servant called him. The God of my master Abraham, not the God I worship. I don't know why. But the servant had a faith-filled prayer. God, listen, God of my master Abraham, I'm trusting you with this. I'm going to show up. Give me a sign. Let me know that you're going to take care of this. Here's what I'm going to do. It was like a negotiation. And bullet point F, the servant relied on God to do what? To fulfill the supernatural. Chris loves saying that. You're going to hear that once, two times, three, four times a month. You're going to even hear me repeat that. I'm going to say it that many times. God doesn't, we do in the natural to let God do the supernatural, right? So that's what the servant relied on. Here, I wrote some notes here. Eleazar became part of Abraham's caravan in Damascus back in Genesis 15.2. We read about him. In Genesis 15.2, Eleazar became his servant. He eventually became Abraham's head servant and was in charge of all. It is highly likely that the servant who was sent on this mission was Eleazar, whom he had put in charge of everything. Because it says in our story that he sent his servant with all that he had. So that was the servant who was in charge of those things. I find it powerful that Abraham told him, beware, do not take my son back there. Here's some good powerful notes I put. Abraham was from this land and familiar with the customs and the ways. He knew that God had promised him and his family the land of Canaan, and it was important that Isaac did not travel back to the land from which they came. It is also of high importance to note that Abraham didn't want him to marry a local woman. Right? He did not want him to marry a local woman. He was quite prosperous in the area, but knew the neighborhood. And he knew that the women from the land were not going to be suitable for Isaac most likely because of their faith and beliefs. Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Here's five guidelines for those seeking a mate today. Number one, hear and obey the counsel of godly parents. I'm looking at all you guys back there. I'm, I'm looking at all of you back there. Hear and obey the counsel of godly parents. Not all parents are godly, and not all godly parents are always right. However, the chances of your parents having good advice and counsel increases if they walk with the Lord and seek his counsel. Parents have a sixth sense, right? We know best. 
especially ones who follow Christ. If you've got good godly parents, please listen to them. Number two, saturate the entire process in prayer. That is what the servant did. That's what Abraham did, and that's what the servant did. Saturate the process in prayer. I do not mean for you to pray the same circumstantial prayer the way the servant did. He was very specific for what he needed to happen. Very specific. I'm not telling you to say if he shows up and he's wearing a red sweater, it was God. God, if he shows up in a red sweater to this blind date, he's the one. That's what this prayer sounded like. Please, that's not the way this goes. I'm not talking about that kind of a prayer. I'm talking about a faith-filled prayer. God, if you want me to meet somebody, bring the right person into my life. Saturate the process with prayer. Not a one-time prayer, an all-day prayer. It doesn't start with dear God and it doesn't end with amen. It's a relationship that you have with him. An ongoing conversation with your dad. Right? This is the type of do the natural and let the God do the supernatural that I'm talking about. God, I'm going to trust this to you and I'm going to let you provide. And he will. How about this one? Look for qualities that reveal true character. She is not, you do not want 16 and pregnant. We're talking about qualities that set someone apart. Not make them a rodeo cowboy or the next American Idol. That's not the quality I'm talking about. Those are cool, but that's not the quality I'm talking about. Most likely, if you're chasing after somebody who wants to be a rodeo cowboy or the next American Idol, those things are going to be more important to them than you. Truth. That's the truth. Look for things like, wow, he was polite and not rude to that rude waiter, and we're never even going to see him again because we're definitely not coming back here. But he was polite anyways. I like that about him. Or they aren't only generous and kind to their friends, they're generous and kind to people who will never be able to repay their kindness. Right? We read that later in the Bible. What good is it to be nice to your enemies? Everybody's nice to their enemies. I'll find the scripture one day, we'll read about it, but that's paraphrasing. Evil people do good things sometimes. We're talking about be kind to those who could never repay your kindness. That's a quality of character. Number four, proceed with caution. Think deeply. This is the step most often omitted, I wrote. First impressions can be deceiving. Wow, that person really made me feel special in that seven minutes that we talked in line for that ride. I think he's the one. She is the one. She said she liked my shirt. You said it looked horrible. She's the one. Love at first sight can be deceiving. It could become death at last sight. Ask yourself questions like this instead, my young ones. Would this person stick around later if I contracted a disease? If I got sick? 
This person's okay right now because they have money. Will they be okay if we're not financially stable? Or will they run? Let's go one layer deeper. Ask yourself questions of yourself in the relationship. Would I stick around if that person contracted a disease? Would I stick around if things became financially unstable? Ask yourself those questions. It's one thing to ask them about the other person, but sometimes we've got to take a look at ourselves, right? Okay. Trust your instincts. Don't dismiss unsettling clues that you find in people. Please don't. Don't dismiss unsettling clues. The servant learned about Rebecca by watching her closely. He had a specific character built up in his mind. He prayed for God to provide a person with that character. And when she arrived, she displayed those characteristics. And she did not have any unsettling clues. She didn't throw up any red flags, right? Is that, is that more of the language now? Red flag, red flag. She didn't throw up any red flags, okay? She threw up the correct flags. I wouldn't call it a white flag. That's the surrender. She threw up the correct flags, and they were not made of rainbows. Okay? Last bullet point. Determine if there is a mutual interest in spiritual things. This is the most important part of this. Do we both believe in the same things? You see what's going on in the world today? You see it. The world's a crazy place. Imagine going deep into a relationship with someone to find out they don't share your core life values, your belief in God, your belief in life after death. <clears throat> we have a saying in AA, that person will get you drunk before you get them sober. You ever heard that? How about this one? You hang out in the barbershop, you're going to get a haircut. Even if you're bald like me, eventually I'll ask the barber to just clean me up. You hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. What do you mean, Chris? What do you mean? What are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes, sadly, you're going to see people grow up in church and meet the wrong person and drift away from church. Because their faith is not the same of Abraham. Sadly, sometimes is that what we see in the church is someone try to save someone else and get them to church, and more times than not, the believer stops coming to please the non-believer. It's pretty sad, but it happens. So a, that person will take you away for, from God before you bring them to God. That's kind of what I'm saying. So you've got to be careful. Proceed with caution. Think deeply. Ask yourself, does this person have the same mutual interest in spiritual things? Because they matter. When you're courting, sorry, man. It's like the most people-pleasing time. It's where you sell a bunk product. That's what Bibi told me. You sold me a bunk product. She wasn't wrong. I'm only let you see what I want you to see. Am I wrong? Come on. That guy? Keep him over there in the closet. It's highly dependent on how deep your faith is. Do you have the faith of Abraham? So that if you decide to be with the wrong kind of person who doesn't believe in the same things as you, 
Are you going to be able to keep pulling them forward and keep dragging them in and telling them God's got a promise, God's got a promise? That's the faith of Abraham. Because you know what his wife's attitude was? Ha! 24 years later, she still didn't believe. 24 years later, Sarah laughed when the angel of the Lord stood outside the tent and said, this time next year, I'll be back and you're going to have a son. She laughed. While the angel of the Lord was there, which in general, if you read the Bible, that's the presence of God. She laughed. Her faith lacked. And you had to have the faith of Abraham to make that relationship work. Amen? Because marriage is, what did I say last week? 100-100. That was 24 years of 70-30 in the faith side of things. Trust me. Trust me. God's going to do it. He promised. 24 years, he had to tell her that over and over and over and over and over again. And she didn't believe until it happened, like doubting Thomas. Here, feel the hole in my hand. It's the truth, right? We don't expect you or your children or your grandchildren to travel to the countries I mentioned above to find the right person. Eh? You don't have to go to Ancestry DNA to find your homeland and send your kid there to find a mate. Ancestry DNA, coolest thing ever. <laughs> we who are in Abraham's shoes, though, we need to have the same concerns as he did for our children. Because we love them and we want to protect them. We need to be sure we are aware of who and what are influencing our children. We need to be sure of who and what are influencing our children. Our schools today are not influencing our children with our core values. They're not. Our public schools are not doing that. They're telling your kids the opposite of what you're teaching them from here. It's very sad. That's the world we live in. We as believers need to band together. Right here, this is a family. We need to band together and give healthy counsel to our youth. I'm talking to you guys. No, I'm not talking. I'm talking about you guys. We need to band together and give healthy counsel to our youth. You know how we do that? People like Dan, who loves our children. Guys like William and Gav. We're standing in the gap of our youth and going above and beyond to take the time to teach them God's word, to teach them that God loves them, to show them who God is in their free time. Amen? We've got people standing in the gap. So we as believers need to band together. We who have been sent or called like the servant need to trust God and follow the spirit-filled wisdom and guidance of those who God has placed in our life whether it be a friend, neighbor, spiritual leader, or parent. And listen to godly counsel. We need to pray in the natural and let God do the supernatural. We need to band together and save our youth. And we need to help them make good decisions, pick the right people in life, hang out with the right people, not get influenced by 16 and pregnant. 
turn off MTV. I'm thinking about canceling DirecTV. I really am. It's a waste of my money. So anyways, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for what you do. Lord, I thank you that, uh, I thank you that you've, I thank you that you're growing this church, Lord. You're growing us inside, and you're growing us on the outside, Lord. I thank you. I, uh, I see it in the eyes. I see it in our faces, Lord. I see it in our hearts. I thank you, thank you, thank you. I lift up this people to you, Lord. We have, a, uh, we have an ugly world outside these doors that we all have to live in, Lord. And with you, you give us the strength, the courage, the ability to go and do something greater than what most people are out there doing, Lord. Give us all the ability, Lord, to band together and encourage our young ones, Lord. Our next generation of leaders are sitting in this room. And they need godly parents with godly wisdom and godly counsel, Lord. I thank you for, I thank you for the team here, Lord, that, that puts things together every week. I thank you for Greg who showed up here by himself, Lord, this morning, came up here and led us in worship. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for everything that you do. I thank you that you've given us a room full of servants who want to lift up and worship you, Lord, and we want to, we want to do the things that you've entrusted us to do. And Lord, today we talked about godly marriage and following godly counsel and trusting you to, to, do, uh, to provide for us in the right way, Lord, especially those that we're going to spend the rest of our life with, Lord. So I thank you for your word. I look forward to what you're going to bring us next week. I look forward to what you're going to continue to do in this church. I thank you again, Lord, for these people. Give them a great week, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.